Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Sacrifice. Now hold, hold that word for just a moment here in your mind. Sacrifice. I want you to notice something else about that second seal. Notice it says, it was given to him, that is the writer, a great sword. Now here's a really fun You can do this on your own later on. I go to the Vine Bible Dictionary and I find out great sword. Now I don't know about you, but when I read great sword, I'm thinking pretty big here. I don't know how big of a sword you can carry, but it's, it's got to be big. Until... Until I started doing a little word study, the Vine Bible Dictionary tells me that this word actually would be better, dagger. I go over the Strong's Concordance, and it tells me this word would be better, knife. I go to the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and I read, quote, used by priest to slay, hey, there's the word she used, to slay animals for, here comes that word again, sacrifice. Slay, sacrifice, lamb. Except the lamb has already been sacrificed. And now somebody is carrying this great sword for this purpose. Now, I don't know about you. Again, I, I, I look at this word great and I think, well, it must be a big sword. <laughs> You know, I, I go over to Revelation 17, and it says a great prostitute. I don't think it has anything to do with her size, petite or otherwise, okay? Because when I go through the book of Revelation, you can do this with your concordance. When you go through the book of Revelation and you use this word great, the, the Greek word is mega, it simply means something that's great, something astounding about it, something significant about it. What could be so significant about this little knife, this little dagger, this little instrument that's used by a priest? Well, here's the neat part. Slay, dagger, oh yes, and even the creature. Remember now, each of these seals is introduced by one of the living creatures. We just read them back in, in chapter four from John. The first one was like a lion. Well, that would be associated with the first seal. The second one was a calf. That'd be associated with the second seal, if we're, if we're just letting the author speak. But notice, unlike the lion, and unlike the man, and unlike the eagle, the calf, the second living creature, the one who introduces this seal, is the only one of the four that is used in the Old Testament for sacrifice. The word, the knife, the animal, the blood red. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. In the previous chapter, chapter five, the lamb, slain, sfazo, same Greek word. The picture's so clear. Now, go to verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, we're beyond the four horses now, I saw under the altar the souls of them. Now, this is where the King James Version got it. I'm using the King James. What's the word in your Bible for kill there? Yeah, most of us have slain. You, you want to say Mr. King James. Why didn't you say slain back there in the second one? They're both the same Greek word. 
You, you see, this is why we study. This is why we open our concordance. This is why we take different translations and compare notes. But it's right there. It's right there in your Bible. So the King James people know the word. They just didn't use it in the second seal. And so they were slain for the word of God. But wait a minute. If you have souls under the altar who've been slain, my friend, you need a high priest. Oh, yeah, that's right. When we started Revelation in chapter 1, we were learning about the high priest, Jesus Christ. And in chapters 2 and 3, talking about the churches, we had all the sanctuary imagery. In chapters 4 and 5, we have sanctuary imagery. We have sacrifice. But see, if I come to chapter 6 and I only think of learning and memorizing dates, and teachers, I'm going to be easy on you now, okay, all right? But if I'm only thinking about learning about dates and what's happened in church history, there's a risk here that I'm going to miss what the author is really trying to say through the Holy Spirit to me as a believer. In fact, something happened this morning, and I have to tell you about it because it happened right here. I've never done this at a church before, but I'm going to invite you to open your hymnal. I want you to see something. You know, every once in a while we learn something that we've been singing about, but probably never gave a lot of thought to it. So right here in your uh, hymnal, 373. Remember when he got up here and he had us singing around, seeking the lost, the men with the deep voices, and then the women with the beautiful voices? Okay, that's the one, seeking the lost. And I want you to go over here to the top of, uh, well, the top of hymn 374. You'll see at the top of the page. And then notice the words, the closing words. Jesus the Lamb for sinners what? Had you even thought about what you were singing? Where are sinners slain? May I offer to you this morning that what you're singing about is the second seal? May I suggest this morning that just like Christ is the rider on the first white horse, he's the rider on the second red horse. You see, my evangelical friends will say, the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist, thus all these others are the Antichrist. To which I come back and I say, but listen, if I can show you from a study of the word that the most likely rider on the first horse is Jesus Christ, then can I at least allow for the possibility that Jesus Christ is also the rider of the second horse? I mean, is that at least an option? And when I start looking at the word study here, sacrifice, 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 I'm tied back to the sacrifice of Jesus in the previous chapter. I'm tied forward to the sacrifice of the, of the believers, their blood at the base of the altar there in the fifth seal. I mean, the whole picture is one of sacrifice. The whole picture is one of Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of it. There is nothing that Jesus asks of us that he has not already gone through himself. That was a pretty quiet amen. We need not fear the persecution. Oh, did I not mention persecution? Here, go back, go back here, second seal. Notice here, it says that he said, he that sat on the horse, he takes away peace from the earth, but it's not the rider with the sword who's doing the killing. Notice, it says, and they should kill one another. My friends, when we make a decision for Jesus Christ, we also take the responsibility and the risk of what that might mean in our lives. Now, I happen to have the Dispensational Study Bible. That's 
That's the Bible I prefer. I like knowing their notes when I'm looking at passages. This is the Ryrie Bible. In my Ryrie Bible here, in the margin, next to the second seal, is Matthew 10. I got that right this time, honey. honey. I was at the other church earlier this morning, and I said, Matthew 24, and on the way up here, my wife said, just, just so you, you know, that's Matthew 10. I said, yes, you're right. Thank God for wives, right? That's just a really strong amen there, right, gentlemen? Okay. So here in the margin, Matthew 10, 34, what does Jesus say? I didn't bring peace. That wasn't my, that was my goal to bring peace. I brought a sword. And by the way, it's the same sword. And Matthew 10 is the Machaira. It's the sacrificial knife. It's the sacrificial dagger. And what does Christ go on to say in Matthew 10? That if you choose... If you make a definite decision for Jesus Christ, he cautions us, he warns us, you may in fact suffer persecution. And you know what? He's not talking about the community. Because in Matthew 10, he goes on to talk about what it's going to do in your homes. The closest people to us. I don't know. A lot of us have been tempted in a marriage relationship. Well, who are you to tell me? Because in a marriage relationship, we know each other well. Well, that's powerful. But now I, I, I need to throw a few more texts in here. You have Paul who calls. That's how the blood gets at the base of the altar and the fifth seal. Dying daily. That's the cross event. You have Jesus Christ who calls us to take up our crosses to do as he has done. You see, all of this is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's really interesting. Let me go back to Matthew Henry for just a moment because he also has something to say about the second seal. Notice, Christ goes on conquering. Okay, he's talking about the first seal. Christ goes on conquering in the work of sanctification, I would propose that the second horseman and what's happening there is about sanctification. In other words, the way I live tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day as one who has faith in Christ, as one who wants to live up to his will, as one who comes to the altar of faith, that is what strengthens my Nike experience from the first seal. Now, now that I've mentioned his name, now I'll mention her name. Ellen White goes on to say in her writings, we need to repent constantly, second seal, we need to repent constantly that we may be constantly victorious. The two go together. Or if you wanted to use some really big words, we can say one's justification, one's sanctification, but they all go together. But we don't talk about the altar of faith enough. Let's take a look at the third seal. Now, I, I just find the third seal to be fascinating, just absolutely fascinating. Here in your Bibles, we come to the third seal, verse 5, and it's a black horse. Well, right there, that's just a warning that perhaps things are not good. I mean, it's the opposite of white and victory in the first one. Then we see the balances. We already know from the Old Testament that when we hear about balances, it's often a sign of judgment. 
Yes, uh, Belshazzar. Go back and read his story. He'll tell you about balances. Okay, verse 6. Now, notice here in verse 6, we have wheat, we have barley, we have oil, we have wine. But the difference being, the wheat and the barley are being sold. Now, a penny, <laughs> you probably think this is a great deal. But a penny in John's day? No, you're having to work all day for a loaf of bread. These are famine conditions. But yet the text tells us it's only on those crops. Now, I was pretty fascinated years ago when I did a study across Adventist writers. Everybody seemed pretty happy with a, what, what shall I say, with a uh, summary that was only 75% correct. You see, if you go back and look at some of our earlier writers on, on these, you know, you'll, you'll read things like, well, the, the wine, that might represent the blood of Jesus. Uh, the, uh, the wheat, you know, represent the body of Christ. Uh, the oil, the Holy Spirit. But nobody, nobody touched the barley. Because barley's a cheap grain. You can get a lot more barley. But because it's a cheap grain, <laughs> we're not going to associate that with God in any way. So we were 75% sure about what we were labeling these others, and we just ignored the barley. I, I'm not real comfortable with that. In fact, I would rather just let the author speak. You see, John tells us, oh, well, let's see now, you're looking this direction, so I'm going to start over here. John says, the wheat and the barley, famine conditions. But don't hurt these over here yet. Oil and wine, that would be grapes and olives. Don't hurt those. Now, you good Michiganders, you understand how crops work. You understand that there are some crops, let's say asparagus, strawberries. Those are available early in the season. Now, if you keep waiting like I am, I got a pear tree out there in back of my yard. Some are falling off, but they're still small. They still have a ways to go. But some of that big, luscious fruit, the apples and the pears and such, those are still down the road. And that's exactly the way it was in John's day. Go to a Bible encyclopedia that has graphics and pictures, and you will see that almost six months after this is harvested comes this harvest. And looking down, and everything you know now about sanctuary and everything else, looking down on this scene, you can see that this over here in Old Testament times, ancient Israel times, this would be declared a curse. You have been unfaithful as a church. You have not been obedient to my word. I'm going to use this famine to capture your attention and draw you back to me so that you don't have to experience this. Oh, but us humans, we don't always take advantage of those lovely warnings. So this afternoon, when you get a chance, open up the book of Joel. Because in the book of Joel, they did not take advantage of the early curse warning. And they went headlong into the second, to the point at which the olives, the grapes, 
the oil, the wine, they were hurt. And one day the people there in ancient Israel showed up to the church, well, the sanctuary, and there's a sign there that says, sanctuary closed. Church closed. There is no bread in the sanctuary. There is no oil for the lamp. There is no wine on the table. You have suffered the fullness of the curses. I tried to gain your attention. You would not come back. I finally went for the fallout curses. Well, and you understand what happened. Eventually, they were sent into Babylon. My friends, I often, I often sense that we use the words, we are spiritual Israel, as though somehow we are better than ancient Israel. But as soon as you hear the word Israel, that should tell you the message to ancient Israel and the ancient to today spiritual Israel is the same message. Jesus is taking right out of the Old Testament those scenes, those curses, those warnings, and he's placing them right here into our passage today, which has to deal with the church. Same thing. And being that you and I are 2,000 years removed from the days of the cross, knowing everything that we know, we should be the last ones to be thinking that somehow we are better than those 2,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago, or 4,000 years ago. Let us learn from those who went before us. Let's be cautious not to judge others. In fact, speaking of others, this one blew me away. Again, I'm giving you the text. Then I'm bringing in a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy. Notice what Ellen White says here about the third seal. She says, in view of the infinite price paid, now that's his sacrifice, in view of the infinite price paid for man's redemption, how dare any professing the name of Christ? Now she uses the word professors often for those who are in the church, but not in Christ. How dare any professing the name of Christ treat with indifference one of his little ones? Those are the ones in the church that are still pretty, pretty new. They're still pretty fresh. They're still growing. They're, 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 they're that seedling that's still, you know, coming up. How carefully should brethren and sisters in the church guard every word and action lest, and here it is, lest they hurt the oil, and the wine. Tell me that this woman did not understand the spiritual implications of the four horsemen. She continues, how patiently, kindly, and affectionately should they deal with the purchase of the blood of Christ. She puts the context of the third seal on a spiritual level and blends it with everything we've already been talking about, that is, sacrifice. Powerful. And yet, some will not heed the warning. Fourth seal, verse 8, And I looked and behold, a pale horse, it's a greenish yellow in the Greek. His name that sat on him was death, and hell or Hades followed him. And then notice, it talks about those who would kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beast. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. These words here are virtually, literally lifted out of Ezekiel 14 and brought all the way over here to the church and put in the fourth seal. What he said to them, he is saying to us. Now, this is where things get interesting. This is what I like to refer to as the great reversal. Because everything that went before, opportunity, repentance, salvation, that has all disappeared at this point. I want you to notice, first of all, there's the sword. It's no longer the dagger. It's no longer the Machaira. Now it's the Ramphaya, the very same sword that Jesus uses to destroy his enemies in Revelation 19. Oh, and then the word slay, you won't find it here in any translation. The, the, the word slay, svazo, it's now gone. This word is apokatino. This is just the word for kill, to, to destroy, to end. And then you'll notice also the word hell or Hades. There is no moving forward towards the altar, the fifth seal. This is game over. Oh, and by the way, remember how we talked about the creatures? The fourth creature is the eagle. I found this so interesting. The eagle, the Greek word is atos. You see, what once was something that represented the character of God, the four living creatures around the throne, that Atos actually has a change of name. You see, Atos is the same word for either eagle or for vulture. Matthew 28, vultures. Revelation 19, it is vultures. Everything has been changed. Everything has been reversed. It is not... It is not what God would want that any of us would experience the third or the four seals. The question is, are we taking advantage of the altar of faith, the second seal? In terms of spiritual victory, is that something that's occurring in our lives on a daily basis? Everything that I've shared with you tells us that the first and second seal should be the experience of all. And when you come to the end of the four horses, and to, to use a word that we've used often in the Adventist church, the sifting of the church, this is it. Now when you come in your Bibles to the fifth seal, you see those whose blood is at the base of the altar. They have an experience, a daily experience with the high priest, Jesus Christ. Those under the sixth seal, they choose eternal loss. And then those from the fifth seal who are Robed in the white, they go on to Revelation 7 and all the good news there. My friends, it comes down to one word. Choice. Choice. It was an ancient prophet in the Old Testament who said, Choose ye this day. While the first two seals have some powerful and positive imagery, Unfortunately, it cannot end there. It has been Christ in almost every one of those churches who said, repent, 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 repent. 
And as you know, repentance has been the key theme throughout the scriptures. I'm going to guess that the next time you open this passage, you will see more here than just church history and maybe some dates. Now, my Bible is probably like yours. I, I have dates written in the, in the side here, too. But for my evangelical friends, and I shared with you last time, most of my time spent doing ministry is with non-Avenist pastors. And I had a pastor who, down there in Marcellus, not too long ago, said, before I read your whole book, why don't we just sit down? So he came over to my house. I got out my computer. I put up my PowerPoint. And he said, if you wouldn't mind, can we just open our Bibles? And you show me from the Bible. What I've shared with you today is from the Word of God. As you can tell from what I've shared with you the previous time and this time, there, there is no room for discussion of the rapture in chapter 4. There is no room for discussion of the Antichrist in chapter 6. This is all about Christ and you. Our prayer for every, every soul in this room is that each one of us would be found at the end of that opening story in heaven with the Lamb, waving palm leaves, praising our Savior. But we must trust Him and we must obey. And that is our closing song. I'm going to recommend for the closing song today that we would sing the first and the fourth stanza of Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Verse 4, but we never can prove the delight of His love. Unto all on the altar we lay. He shows, He bestows, Are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus 
but to trust and obey. Oh, gracious Father, may we trust each day. May we find that only in obeying you, only in trusting in your word, only in following your will, only in coming to the altar of faith and laying our will before you, dear Lord, only there we're going to find true Nike conquering power, the power we desire to live by, the power that will give us the lives that we truly desire. May we experience these first two seals on a daily basis, and may we share the warnings of your love with others so that all be part of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen.